0: Good morning. Hey, it is good to see your smiling faces. It's good to be here with you this morning. It's our fifth birthday, and so... uh wow. Uh, we, we had some coffee and some donuts, and uh, we haven't had coffee since before the pandemic, so that's kind of a mar- mile marker for us. Um, one of the the big pushes for coffee for us was uh, actually, honestly, the first service. You guys need some caffeine sometimes, and uh, I just need you, I need you to be a little bit more engaged. So we're like, we'll, we'll get some caffeine, some coffee. We got donuts today, so uh, no, it's good to be with, with you. Man, five years is, is significant uh, in the history of God. God's people, when God would uh, do something remarkable and show his faithfulness, he, he would often have them uh, just mark that, just remember that. With a, a monument or a feast or a festival, uh, even into uh, the New Testament, when we uh, come to the communion table each week, it's a reminder of, of God's faithfulness. And as we uh, mark these events, like fifth anniversary, fifth birthday party, uh, it just uh, it's just a time to stop and thank God for what he has done, what he is doing, what he will continue to do. So whether you've been here for a, a week or a year or from the very beginning, it is, it is a privilege and a joy to uh, be on this faith family journey with you guys. So thank you. Uh, if you have a Bible, we'll do what we do each week, and, and simply uh, go to God and ask Him to uh, speak to us, speak to our lives, shape us, form us in Christ. So if you have Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be at this morning. Romans chapter 12 as we uh, continue through this series called The Gospel According to Paul through the book of Romans. I was thinking about uh, this week, if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, then then you will misuse, neglect, or abuse that thing, right? Right? So if you if you are like, hey, I need to fix my motorcycle, and you decide, hey, I'm going to go online and, and get a book for that, so I got Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Well, when that comes in, you're going to be very disappointed because that's not the purpose of that book, even though the title says it might be. Uh, but uh, we, we can do this all the time with a tool, or, or if you don't know the purpose of the tool, you're either going to break the tool, neglect the tool, misuse the tool. And, and the same is true about this book. The Bible. Uh, oftentimes when, when we don't know the purpose of the book, or, or uh, to put it another way, when we think that the Bible is primarily about us, then we're going to come to the Bible with, with, with those lens. And when we come to the Bible with those lens, uh, things get a little wonky in, in our lives, in our, our spiritual lives as well, because uh, maybe you've heard it said before. Uh, well, the Bible is, you know, it's made up of 66 books. So the Bible is 66 love letters from God to you. You're like, wow, that sounds really nice. Until you read it, and you're like, that's really weird. There's dragons, and there's adultery. Like, I, I don't. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Like, how is this a love letter? From he's not a very good love letter writer, apparently. Uh, or people say, well, it's the Bible, the B I B L E. That's basic instructions before leaving Earth like, okay, that's good. I need some basic instructions. And, and to be fair, there's some instructions there, but, but there's also a bunch of weird history and apocalyptic literature and, and, and songs. And you're like, this is, this is not that helpful. I can find better instructions. Or uh, some people say, this is a, a roadmap to life. And you're like, okay, uh, well, it's a terrible roadmap because it doesn't tell me uh, wh- where I should go to college, where I should live, who I should marry, uh, where I should go on vacation, uh, Jerusalem apparently. But uh, other than that, like, it's, it's, that makes it terrible, like, kind of, like, it's why we use Google Maps instead of this. I mean, to be fair, there's some maps in the back, uh, but they don't really help me uh, know too much about where I want to go. And so uh, the, the, that, those are just some funny examples, but, but in reality, we, we often come to this word through a self-focused lens, and uh, then all the stuff that doesn't seem to be dealing directly with us, we scrap, and then we find like two or three verses out of context, and we put them on our sweaters and on our coffee cups, and we're like, this is good, but, but the problem with that, the problem with that is it's a misunderstanding of the purpose of this book. This book is not primarily and first about you and me. It's primarily about a God who is reconciling the world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ and when you see it as that grand storyline you see that it's not about us but we are invited into that story we're invited to leave the story of us and come into the grand narrative god reconciling the world to himself in fact second corinthians 5 tells us that god is reconciling the world and we are his ambassadors that are also reconciling one to another and to the war, and to him so we're on journey with him but when you start to see it that way uh, now now it starts to make sense ah oh. That's why you did this. That's why it says this. That's where it's how the gospel works out. In fact, uh, as we work our way through the book of Romans, uh, Paul has been trying to give us, and I hope this has been true of you, it's certainly been true of me, a deeper, wider, higher understanding of God's sovereign purposes and plan in the gospel. Like, it's, it's, it's not... It's not a simple thing. It is deep and wide and profound in so many ways. And for 11 chapters, Paul has been un- unpacking that to us. But, but again, if we, uh, we, we live in a time and a place where we like to have everything dumbed down, we like to have everything kind of simplified. And so uh, we, we like to uh, simplify the gospel to this question. What are the bare minimum interest requirements to get into heaven when I die? That's all I really want to know. What are the bare minimum interests required? What prayer do I need to pray? Uh, how, how often do I need to go to church? Like what, what are the hoops that I need to ju- jump through so that at the end of my days, when I take my last breath, I go to the good place and not the bad place. But for the rest of my life... I, I, I don't want to have it, it really interfere. I don't want God to have any say in in, in my relationships and how I spend my money, how I spend my time. I just want to know. Well, what, what, I want to be like Charlie Bucket. You remember Charlie Bucket, Willy Wonka, and the Chocolate Factory? I want to go find that 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 candy bar with the golden ticket. So when I have the golden ticket and I go to the gates of the Chocolate Factory in the sky, they got to let me in. But other than that, that's about the extent of it. So it's a, it's a, a self-focus, it's a dumbing down, it's a shallowing of the gospel, and in the end, it, it really is no gospel at all. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a very narrow slice of the gospel, what, what happens when you die. But, but hopefully you begin to see that the gospel is far deeper, richer, and wider than that. So Paul's been showing us that for 11 chapters, and he showed us that all of us, in thought, word, and deed, from Adam and Eve forward, have been in our own way, turned our back on God, and said, I'll do life how I want to do life. I'll pursue my own thing. I don't want to submit to your rule and reign, but I will pursue my thing. And the question for you and for all of humanity is, how's that working out for you? Like in the end, it, it leads to death, destruction, disintegration in, in our lives, in our, our world, and, and throughout. And so this was the state of man. But, but God, in his mercy, reconciling the world to himself, sent his son Jesus to live the life you and I could never live, to pay the price you and I deserve to pay, and then he took on our sin. He gave us his righteousness, and he took our sin on the cross, so that by grace, through faith, when we receive that, we are welcomed into the family of God. And Paul's been unpacking all the benefits of the gospel, that, that you and I are adopted sons and daughters by grace through faith, that you and I have the righteousness of God. We can go before the very presence of God because not our righteousness, but because Christ's righteousness. We can have um, the Holy Spirit living in us so that we can walk and step with the Spirit and not in the flesh. And just in so many ways. Paul has been unpacking just the, the, the divine sovereignty, and mystery, and glory of the gospel. So much so that by the end of chapter 11, he blows his own mind and he puts down his pen and he gives the, the, the doxology. He says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable is his ways. So for 11 chapters, Paul has been doing theology. He's been doing what? theologians call giving us the gospel indicatives. Here's what's true about the Bible. Here's what's true about uh, Jesus's life. Here's what's true about your future and and the love of God for you. All these things. Here's what's true about your adoption. Just going on and on and on. Here's what's true. And, And what's true is just to be received by grace through faith. That's it. Those are gospel indicatives. And now Paul is going to turn a corner, and, and there's going to be a very radical shift in the rest of the book of Romans to what theologians will call gospel imperatives. So, if all of that is true—that simply by grace through faith we are, we 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 inherit the—we we are joint heirs with Christ. All those things are true. Then, then how then now should we live? And it's very important that you get those things in the right order. Because Paul, when he, he begins to tell us how we should live, we, we don't live to try to earn anything from God. He's given us everything. We live in light of everything that he has given us. How should that look in our lives? And so Romans chapter 12 forward is going to be that question. How now shall we live in light of the gospel? In fact, verses 1 and 2, it's going to be the summary of the whole of the Christian life. And that's what's going to be unpacked for the rest of the book. And so, if you have your Bible, we're in Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse, Romans chapter 12, start in verse 1. Listen carefully. This is God's word. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul turns this corner and he begins to plead with the church in Rome. He begins to plead with us in view of the mercies of God. Therefore, as a result of all of the mercy that God has shown us, and for the last several chapters, Paul has been focusing on the mercy of God. The undeserved, unmerited grace, mercy, love of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. He says, in view of that, present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is a call to total surrender. Notice he doesn't say present your souls as a living sacrifice or, or even just your mind or or your hands. No, no, this is, this is an all play in every area of our lives to present our bodies as living sacrifices. So, so the first century Greeks and Romans, they understood religion and and all religions were to have uh, offerings, sacrifices, temples, and priests. And so the Christians kind of wigged them out. They didn't understand uh, these Christians. They, they didn't have I- any sacrifices to make. They didn't have any priests. And they didn't have any temple to go to. And yet they said, uh, this is what's true about God. This is our religion. Uh, but Paul says, actually, you do have a sacrifice. Not a sacrifice for sin. That was Jesus on the cross. You have what, what the Old Testament would call a whole burnt offering. A, a sacrifice of praise. You, you give it all. It's an expensive thing. You, you give everything, and so this is what what, it, what makes sense in light of what God has done to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that that means we offer everything we offer our imagination we offer our financial planning. We offer our uh, relationships. We offer our, our our time in our jobs. We, uh, we offer our what we put in our mouths and how we exercise. We We offer it all and say, God, this is your life now. Use it for your glory. And when we do that, as we put our sacrifice before him our whole lives, he says, it's holy and acceptable to God. Holy just means to be set apart. To, to be different, to be differentiated from the world. We, we are set apart and being set apart as God's sons and daughters. We are uh, pleasing to God, as the NIV would say, which is your spiritual worship. Now, now this is really interesting to me, and I hadn't seen this before until studying it this week, where it says, which is your spiritual worship. You're like, well, what, what does that mean? I, I actually kind of think it's a bad translation. The word is logikos. Logikos. We get the word logic or logical. What, what Paul is saying, which, which is your logical worship. Think about it. In light of all that Jesus has done for you, giving him his whole self, his whole body, to, to come and bring you back into the kingdom and make you joint heirs and inheritance of uh, of heaven, in light of him giving everything, the only thing that makes logical sense is, well, you can have all my life too, Jesus. You gave me all your life. You can have my life too. That's logical. And it's a, it's a whole life endeavor. See, there is a, uh, there's an ancient heresy that continues to plague the church and probably has affected you more than you know. It's the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism in the first century, the Gnostics, and there were Christian Gnostics, they came and they said uh, that there is the spiritual world and there's the physical world. And the things in the spiritual world, those are good, and and that's what we want to aim for. That's perfection. And so uh, when when we're doing spiritual things, like prayer and and going to church and all these things, uh, that that pleases God, and that's good, and that's where we want to be. But the rest of our lives, just eating and drinking, going to work and having families and all the ordinary stuff of that, that's all. All, that's all kind of corrupted. It's evil. It's, it's going to be passing away. And so we don't really give much attention to that. God doesn't really care about that. Uh, um, but, but the spiritual, that's where God cares about. And we do this all the time. We think, you know what? When God is happy with me, well, I came to church, God. Did you see that? Can you, can you check the box and give me credit this week? I prayed prayers. I read my Bible. I did my quiet time. I did the spiritual things. And now I'm just going to live my life however I want because I've got that spiritual. That's Gnosticism. That's a heresy. That, that, that doesn't understand the goodness of creation, that you are body souls. Your soul is not separated from your body. Your body matters. What you do matters. How you think matters. All of it matters. And, and so we offer it all up. And it's the only logical way to worship. He gave us everything, so we give everything. Well, what does this begin to look like? He says there's a problem and there's a, there's a sol- solution here. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he says, do not be conformed. If you think conformity happens from the outside in, it's like a a baking pan or a cookie cutter. You're trying to get the dough, trying to get it all to uh, fit a a certain kind of shape. uh, And depending on the temperature of your dough and all that, how how accurate it is and stuff like that, that's a conformity, that's outward in. He says, the, the problem is, that all of us, since Adam and Eve are breathing the air of the world, and the world has an agenda for your life. It has, a, it has something it wants to conform you into. And sometimes that shifts culturally and otherwise, but it wants you to think certain things. And if not, you'll be canceled. It wants you to uh, feel certain things. And so the media that we uh, take in, the conversations that we have, the culture around every interaction with the world has an agenda to shape you and form you into its image. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. That's not who you are. Don't be conformed from the outside in, but rather be Transformed. Again, the word there is metamorphoso. We get the word metamorphosis. It's this inward transformation that eventually works itself outwardly. So, of course, the, the best example of this is the, the book that you read to your kids, The Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> you, you understand, Caterpillar inching along. Uh, it, comes, it comes around, don't worry, I'm not gonna tell your story, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> she's like, don't look at me. <laughs> okay, I am gonna tell your story. Uh, we had caterpillars in Okinawa. We would raise them. They would take off. It was beautiful. But one time, she raised it, took off, and a bird immediately came and ate it. So, um, that, she's so sad about it still. Uh, but that's not my story. Uh, so imagine a caterpillar. Your life as a caterpillar. You're you're going through the dirt, and, and you're just inching along. Eventually, uh, you kind of climb up a plant. You, you work your way up. You, you get on a leaf, and you just start gorging yourself, gorging yourself, gorging yourself. And, and after a while, when you get fat enough and big enough, uh, you make a chrysalis. I learned it's not a cocoon. That's moss, and it has something to do with silk. But you make a chrysalis, and and you you enter into the chrysalis, and inside the chrysalis, you, you begin to. Uh, digest yourself. You begin to break down all the cells into your body into individual cells, and and you become this kind of soupy goo inside this chrysalis. And as after eight to twelve days, depending on the temperature, uh, you are shaped into something totally new. But again, I you know caterpillars don't have giant brains, so I'm sure they're not aware of what's going on here at this moment. But just think about that for a second. You've gone your whole life through the dirt and the mud on the plant, and now you're, you've been sleeping uh, for 8 to 12 days, and all of a sudden, you, you, you wake up. You're like, ah, and you're like, whoa, shut up, <laughs> whoa, and you take off, and everything has changed. Like, you were in the dirt and the mud, but now you are floating around. You go wherever you want, and you, you, you know what would, would not make any sense in that moment as you're just being your butterfly? What would make no sense in that moment is be like, you know what I miss? I miss rolling around in the dirt. And you never see that, right? You never see butterflies just go there and, and start to act like caterpillars again, just kind of roll around. No, that doesn't make sense. They've been Transformed. And they fly now. They have a kind of freedom that they didn't have before. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't be conformed. It's not who you are anymore. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's a renewal of the mind. It it means uh, it's a remembering. It's a rehearsing the truth. The Bible talks about our mind is not a neutral battlefield. Your mind actually wars against you in this. How do I know this? Because I experience this all the time. You experience this all the time. Some of you, we, we all have these areas of our lives where we can, we can just know so many things like your sports team or your hobby. Like you, you can know things about a player and you know, all of his stats, you can know what college he went to, what his stats were in college. You, you can hammer that out all day long. And, and then you, you're like, oh, I, I should read the Bible. And two minutes into it, you're like, man, I can't concentrate i 've got to figure out something else, uh, the twenty seven things that I need to get done, I should probably go do right now because it 's warring against you, like some of you can run businesses and be entrepreneurs, and all day long you can just be the, the captain of your domain, and then all of a sudden uh, i 'm going to spend some time in prayer, and, and thirty seconds you 're done and paul 's saying it's because it 's a battle, engage the battle. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This this means that that, that it takes an awareness that it's a battle. It takes a a knowledge of who God is. It it takes living in the Bible, not just eating off of someone else's plate spiritually all the time. What do you have for me today? Teacher, uh, feed me, please. I wasn't fed at that church. I don't care. Get in the Bible, learn to engage, learn to eat, and not as a way to get information out of it, but as a way of seeing and savoring who God is. Remember the purpose of the Bible. We enter into his story, we see and savor. And again, this isn't about scripture memory, this isn't about knowing a lot of things about the Bible, because we all know people who uh, can just kill it on uh, on Bible memory tests and and Bible quizzes, and, and they're jerks. Like it hasn't infiltrated their heart and their lives. No, this is about seeing and savoring, battling in your mind, renewing yourself to the truth and saying, I'm going to take, Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, take every thought captive. Meaning, put every thought in a headlock. Because no one is going to lie to you more than you. No one is going to try to convince you to do things to your harm more than you like, oh, it'll be all right. I'm going to do this. I really want this. Like no one lies to you more than you. So Paul said, you've got to uh, take that thought into a headlock and say, is this true? Is this right? Is this good? Does this line up with who God says I am and what God has done for me? And, And you wrestle with it. This is how we are transformed into the image of Christ by the renewal of your mind, then that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's verses one and two. That's a summary of the Christian life, to offer our whole selves and to be transformed, renewing our mind to what is ultimately true and holding on to that. And the rest of the book, he's going to begin to unpack, what does this actually look like in the church? And so he says in verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought, but to, uh, than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in the household of God, he says, there's two limiting attitudes. One is to think too highly of yourself and the other is to think too lowly of yourself he mentions specifically thinking too highly of ourselves because it's probably the predominant problem of most of us where you come into the gathering of God's people and you come not as a uh, consume me in worship but as a consumer what do I get out of this who's here to serve me how can I be blessed and it's 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 thinking too highly of yourself but but you can also have the opposite problem, and it looks very similar. The opposite problem was, well, I'm just, I'm a nobody. I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing I can do, so I'm just, I'm going to go, and I'm going to sit, and I'm, I'm going to move, and I'm going to go out because God could never use my life. And, and Paul says, no. Both of those attitudes are limiting to your growth and the mission of the family of God, the, the faith family, our church. He says, so don't think too highly. Don't think too lowly but rather consider the truth. Again, renew your mind to the truth. None of us should think too highly of ourselves in light of the gospel because we were rebels, sinful. We had turned our backs on God, and in his mercy and grace, he still loved us and brought us in, and so he made us sons and daughters. We're equal. None of us should think too lowly of ourselves because even though we were rebels, sinners, we had turned our back on God, he still loved us and picked us up and made us sons and daughters of the family of God. And so with this attitude, how do we engage one another? Verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and, me- and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members, one of another. This is the apostle Paul, one of apostle Paul's most favorite uh, metaphors that he uses throughout his letters says so the, the church is like a body. We, we have different parts and different functions. And uh, when you understand that we are interdependent, you understand that if there's parts of your body that are not functioning properly, it affects the whole body. Like, like stub your toe at night and, and just see how, how important your toe is in the middle of the night. Like it's pretty important. But like like, he's just saying, like, if you don't understand how a body works, you won't understand how the church works. A body works when, when all the organs and all the parts and all the limbs and the brain and the eyes, and when all of it understands its role and plays its role well, then the body is healthy. It's growing. It's strengthening itself says so this is what it means to be in the family of God. We are one body, members of one another. Again, if this book is just about us and our private relationship with God, then, then this doesn't make any sense. But if this book is primarily about God reconciling the world to himself and using his church in that process, and that we belong to God, and we belong to one another, that's a whole different way to live life. Verse six, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them. So so what Paul is saying is if you're a follower of Jesus here today, if you believe the Bible, you've obviously believed it enough to trust in Jesus, then believe it when he says, I've given you my spirit to live his life in you. And I've also equipped you and gifted you specifically in such a way that the church as a whole needs you and you need the church as a whole you have a role to play so let us use our gifts and then he gives kind of a representative list this isn't exhaustive there's other lists but it's just this idea there's many many ways that we can play our role in the body of Christ if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving to the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation to the one who contributes in generosity to the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul will say in Ephesians chapter four to the church that we have these different gifts, but part of the reason we have these different gifts is to put them on display and help one another learn the gifts. So it isn't like, well, I only have the gift of exhortation, so that's all I'm gonna do. No, it's saying I might've been especially equipped by the Spirit to do that, and I wanna walk in that, and I wanna help you guys walk in that, and vice versa. But the key is, this only helps us if we use them if we walk in our gifts. Well, how do I know what my gift is? Well, there is no Holy Spirit spiritual gift test that will be accurate. I promise you that. Part of it is just the attitude of humility. How can I arrive in a place where the body of Christ is gathered and lift them up? How can I get low so they, they can go high? How can I serve? Where, where is there a need? Give me eyes to see. And the Spirit gives us eyes to see where the needs are to meet the need. And then we walk in our gifts. And sometimes we try things and we're like, man, I'm not good at that. I'll try something else. But it's just this attitude of how can I contribute to the strengthening of the church? So I remember uh, several years ago, I was with one of my other, we were in Okinawa. I was with one of my other elders. We were in... We were in Thailand, actually, and we were uh, visiting a church, an expat, expat church there with a few hundred members, and uh, my friend Ron is just really sensitive to welcoming People into uh, that are visiting and otherwise it just does a, he did a great job of that in, in our church and so as we get to uh, this church called the gathering uh, it, everyone's coming in and, and as as is the case here or anywhere like people see each other they're they're friendly they're they're talking and they're excited but as we come in as visitors uh, there's no one welcoming us. There's no one at the front door. Uh, and, and I was like, it's fine. It's what, whatever. It's, come on. And, and Ron, at first, he, he gets very upset. He's like, no one welcomed me. I'm like, don't worry about it, dude. It's okay. But this was his thing, right? Like at our church, this is his thing. I want to make sure people are welcome. He's like, no one welcomed me. I'm like, don't worry about it. And so I'm standing off at the side, I think with my family. And, and a few minutes later, I look over and in the middle of the hallway, I see Ron. And Ron is standing. As the people are coming, he's like, hey, welcome to the gathering. I'm Ron. Glad you're here. Welcome to the gathering. I hope you have a good day. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm I'm Ron. We're we're glad that you're here today. And I I was actually talking to him last week. He's like, well, I kind of did that just to be a jerk. And I was like, yeah, but uh, you know what? There were people that came in and they felt welcomed because you walked in your gift, even if it was as a jerk, you know. (laughs) Uh, But here's the deal, especially for the members here. If you ever come into this place and there's no one greeting at greeting at the door, stop and be the greeter that day. You you have the authority to welcome people in this church. If you see someone that you haven't recognized before, maybe they've been here for a month, two months, but they're new to you, stop your conversation, go, welcome them, invite them to lunch. This is what it means to be part of the household of God, walking in our gifts. Figuring out how we we do this together, so this is a th- this faith family in five years in I, I can assure you there is a place and a purpose for you if you 're just visiting and uh, we 're glad you 're here um, and, and we hope that you 're blessed by that. We hope you were welcomed uh, if you uh, have are here for a month and you 're just checking out and doing that kind of difficult thing of seeing is is this a faith family that I, we can join our family to too. We're glad you're here. And, and there's a lot of good churches in this city that we would help point you to if this is not for you. But, but some way, shape, or form, we, our prayer for you is that you would find a faith family that you understand that you have a role to play and that you would give your life to that faith family. Maybe you're here and man, you, you've come through a season of wounding and it's been hard and, and you, just need to, you just need to heal. We're glad you're here. We, we want you to just relax and receive uh, the gifts of the people of God for you, to strengthen you, to heal you. And, and in the end, we, we hope that, uh, we say here that um, it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at. And we hope that one of the ways that Jesus meets you where you're at is through us, through our hands, through our feet, through our mouths, in loving you. But, but the goal is not to stay in that place, but to, by God's grace, to grow to a place of health where you are now an active, contributing member of the body of Christ. If this is your faith family, then, then it's important for us to uh, recognize and, and see uh, that you have a role to play. Now, this takes some intentionality uh, on your part and our part. It takes intentionality for you to just come and say, man, I, I have gifts that, that the body of Christ needs and, and they have gifts that I need and I'm going to walk in those gifts. It takes intentionality on our part that when you see someone walking in a way that builds up the church, that, that we just acknowledge that. Hey, thank you. You have the gift of encouragement. Hey, thank you for serving. Hey, thank you for doing that. We see this gift in you. and We want to affirm you and help you grow in that area. It takes believing that everyone matters. If Paul's words are right, there there are no secondary citizens in the kingdom of heaven. There's no better parts in in the church than than lesser parts. Everyone matters, and so you matter. It takes humility. It takes humility to... uh, Take on the the form of a servant, right? Like Someone, I I read this week, someone says, you know if you have a servant's heart when you're treated, how do you put it? How do you know if you have a servant's heart? It depends on how you respond when you're treated like a servant, right? But this is what God calls us to. It's what Jesus modeled for us. It takes humility to, to, to go into a room and say, how do I lift others up regardless of what I get from them? How do I lift them up? It takes humility to receive service from others. Like when Jesus gets down and washes the disciples' feet on the night that he was betrayed, it was hard for the disciples to sit there and take that service. Peter resisted it. And it's hard for us in our self-sufficient way to think, man, I need you. My spiritual life depends on you serving me and vice versa. It takes humility. It takes, again, a commitment. Paul says, whatever your gift is, walk in it. Use it, use it so together let 's be, uh, be transformed by a big gospel that that has demands and, and even invites us to uh, live our whole lives before him let 's seek to offer our lives in, in, to God in view of this gospel let 's bring our gifts and use them among the family of God uh, in the Czech Republic when we were missionaries there. One of the things we learned early on about the culture there it was a beautiful part of the, the culture. We were, we were trying to get to know everyone, and so we would uh, open our home and we would um, just try to be hospitable and invite all the people from the church over, and, 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 and really non believers and others just over to our house. But to a person, everyone that came to our door as checks, they arrived with a gift in hand. They arrived with flowers, they arrived with chocolates, they arrived with books we're like, oh, wow, that's really nice. You didn't have to do that. We were just trying to have you over. Thank you so much. We'd invite them again, and they'd have gifts again. We'd invite them again, they'd have gifts again. They would just not show up at a person's house empty-handed. They always had gifts. And I thought, "What what a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ, what Redemption Parker should be. Imagine that when we gathered in our gospel communities or one-on-one, or when we gathered on Sunday, we all just didn't come empty-handed, but in, in some way, shape, or form, we, we came with our gifts for the family of God. Hey, hey, I've brought a gift. I've got a word of encouragement for you. Hey, hey I, I've brought a gift. I'm going to show up an hour early to help set up so that you can worship. Hey, hey, I have brought a gift. I'm going to stay late and, and help tear down. Hey, I have brought a gift. I'm going to come alongside you as, as parents of little ones and uh, take your kids in the back and, and just help point them to Jesus like you're trying to do. Hey, I have brought a gift. I want to invite you to lunch after church. But if that was our mindset, whenever we gathered as a church, we had gifts and, and we were called to use them, man, that would radically transform us as a faith family. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray, Father, that um, we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we'd be able to test and approve what God's will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, thank you that you uh, have made us a faith family, and you've gifted us for one another. Lord, help each of us, by your spirit even now, to walk in those gifts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.